you are listening to a night dream a night dream podcast well uh, one day I would like to finish the two books that I started you are listening to a night dream a night dream podcast The first night dream is called Live Epically. Every morning, every manager in the call centre has to give a speech to their teams. A team is made up of nine people and a manager. The speech is called a muster, and it's designed to get everyone pumped up for the day. Your manager is the best, because usually they acknowledge the unspoken truth that meeting four times a day to discuss the team's performance is ridiculous and unnecessary. Two out of the seven statistics are completely out of the operator's hands, and another one of them is easily manipulated by abusing the call centre operating system. Today your manager looks spooked and has clearly been given a talking to as they look rattled. They start their speech. Right, is everyone here? I'd like to start the meeting by saying we are just rats who live in a cage and are friends. I also noticed that yesterday the team statistics were slightly lower than the day before. This would be okay in a world where up is down and down is up, but unfortunately we do not live in that world. Your manager looks directly at you and says, you will not find reason in the dregs of your coffee cup, just as wishes are for people who know what they want. Don't look at me like that. Forty years ago I would have played in the Greek national volleyball team. You are thinking of asking your manager if they are okay, but you don't want to prolong the meeting, so you look at the floor. Your manager looks pale, but proclaims, I exercise two days a week and can spend a lifetime maintaining pine trees, if that's what I want to do. Now, does anyone think that if you name a pet lucky and they are unlucky, that it's your fault? Lisa lifts one of her eyebrows and makes a slightly aggressive, questioning face which very accurately and wordlessly asks, Are you okay? and What are you doing? To which the manager responds, Do you think rats like the smell of flowers? And if they do, how could they live in such squalid, horrible homes? Your manager pauses. Team, do you think these stats are okay? Sit with me for a moment. On God's beach, and it will be paradise. Everyone has finished their coffees and you should be on the phones by now, but your manager keeps talking. They say, I like all the designer brands. Which reminds me, have you heard about the doctor and the writer? No? Well, the doctor says, if you read another book, you will die. So the writer gasps, throws out every book in their home into a big skip, and the writer lives peacefully for ten years by a secluded tower, but one day can't quite remember how a story ends, and for a brief moment, forgets the doctor's orders, and so reads the last page of Monsieur Venus. The doctor is happy, but immediately dies. At the end of the speech, the manager asks if anyone has been experiencing depressive thoughts and declares that the meeting is over. In this story, the doctor dies instead of the writer who reads the book? Hmm... This night dream is called... The definitively saddest story ever told, and shortest. Sir, 
I just checked the hobbies section of your resume and it says, doing accurate but loving impressions of people you know. I must have sent the wrong draft, you say. This night dream is called The Cups That We Drink From. You are visiting family who live far away from you. You see them less than once a year, mainly because of the long drive, but also because you don't see them very often. The first part of your journey takes you past a small family shop. You drive past it every day of your adult life, and this is the first time that you think about what you did there when you were younger. You try really hard to think about something else, but you can't. So you stop the car outside and go inside. You carefully rest a £10 note on the counter to make up for your past transgressions. And you tell them what you did 15 years ago and that you're sorry, but the damage has already been done. You cause them harm, and it doesn't matter if they didn't notice at the time. As you get back in the car, you think that although you didn't realise it at the time, it doesn't matter because the cost of violence is eternal. You haven't thought about this much before, and you put it down to the long drive making you anxious. Quite soon after joining the motorway, you get the feeling you have sometimes where sometimes you just want to close your eyes while driving really fast, and you can't explain it, but it feels a bit like an itch. You blame yourself for stopping earlier, You should never go anywhere where you wouldn't normally go before a long drive. It only happens when you're driving alone, the other itch. You put your foot down and hold it there. Why does this violence appeal to you? As a repetitive rhythm of accelerating and braking puts you into a meditative state. It's only when you arrive that you remember someone has made a film about it and you look it up on Wikipedia. The entry finishes with the line, implying their fetish involves death. That's a good one, you think. Free from the car and happy to be welcomed by your family, who are happy that you drove all the way to see them. After lunch, you go to the pub with your uncle and you meet his friends who don't talk at all, except to share the odds for horse races, which are showing on TV. You ask one of them how many times the horses have to run around the racetrack and they look at you incredulously. Afterwards you realise that he thought you were joking. You decide to make an effort to talk less, as you are clearly in a mode better suited to cafes or family reunions, and these people aren't here for that. The first time you stand in front of the urinal, the advert is for different beers. Your first reaction is negative. Adverts, however well made, are made with the intention of tricking you, which makes them bad. Why would a pub need to remind you that you're there to drink? Maybe in this case, the adverts are fulfilling a more noble role of letting you think about drinks in the only part of the pub where you don't drink them. You aren't thinking straight, so you start talking less. Your uncle is very good at drinking, and you are good, but he is very good. You've had about seven pints, which is a lot for 6pm. You're drunk enough that you wish someone would try to arm wrestle you. Of course they won't, which is of course a good thing. On your next visit to the toilets, you walk around the corner to see what's around the corner. It's more urinals. Every other urinal has a dark poster above it that turns out to be an army recruitment poster. Although you've drunk a lot, it's clear to you that you've never seen a recruitment poster in the toilet of the pub that you go to at home. 
and when you get back, your uncle's talking to one of his friends. He introduces you, but you don't catch their name, and instead of asking, you sit there in a drunken stupor. You've slowed down considerably, but you're still drinking your ninth pint, and it's black and velvety, which goes well with the texture of the table you're sat at. After pushing your fingers forwards and backwards into the tabletop, you make your way back to the toilet, not to use it, but because you need a break from the conversation that you haven't really been a part of for over half an hour. You smile in the toilet mirror. You think that if you or anyone born before you in your family has ever caused violence, you must be the one to stop it. You are too delicate to carry it with you always, and you love being this drunk. It helps you to have thoughts that you would never have otherwise. Some people can choose to carry it until they die, but not you. You think that the army is a perfect example of a good idea gone bad. We want to survive, and we are vulnerable, and this will always be true. But instead, in this moment, you believe that when you die, you will experience everything that you've put into the world, all of the good and bad, although at this moment in time, your brain doesn't use those words. You sit back down and somehow your uncle is still talking. Another friend of his has arrived and he got you another drink while you were gone as the bar closes soon. You rarely drink over ten pints, but when you do, you bask in the confusion that it brings. He is talking to you, but you don't hear him. Instead, you think that when you hurt someone, they are too busy being in pain to do what they want to do, and that some people figured this out a long time ago and many people have used this to their advantage, slowly shaping the world with cruelty. You feel intensely wronged that this has been constructed by people like you. It is not obvious that the opposite of violence creates two different shapes into the world instead of one, which is infinitely preferable. So you tell your uncle that you think that violence removes one choice from the world, and he agrees with you. Feeling more lucid, you ask him if he thinks that America would exist if the Celts hadn't been subjugated by the Romans and the Danes. He says he isn't sure. Feels as if your brain is the closest it can ever be to connecting all of the dots it would need to connect to know, but it isn't close enough. Why do people do the things they do, you think, as you pass out? This night dream is called Commuting. You are a 40-something New Yorker or Londoner, unfulfilled city dweller, unable to put things into perspective or assess what matters to you and use that knowledge to take positive steps in your life. Every day you commute for 5 hours and 55 minutes, which you always say is far too long, and you are always nice to the staff at the station cafe, but they are either jealous of you or they just don't like you. Ultimately, you put it down to context, but not one of them has ever smiled at you. If they knew how worried you were about your life, maybe they would cut you some slack. Do they even think about how the train line is removing tables, except for in first class? There is no cure for your anxieties, so you sit on the train again. You aren't sleeping well at the moment, because you keep having the same dream. It's very cliched, but also very frightening. It starts with you in a large train station. It's well established with high ceilings and glass everywhere. You are trying to find the right platform, 
when the station starts to fill with water. Every time you have the dream, your first thought is how worn out the idea of drowning in a dream is. Of course you live with a lot of pressures and responsibilities, but who doesn't? You can tell that even your own brain is bored at this point, and it uses its assets sloppily. The station begins to resemble an eastern market in an action film. Again, tired, very dated. The place is really flooding now, and it's way too busy to find your platform calmly. You try to imagine yourself in a film, one of the main characters meeting someone in a public space with a secret plan. You're destined to find them, but only right at the last minute. The station is very busy, but no one seems to notice the water is rising. People remain seated just below the surface, and others stand idly, staring at the departures board. No one moves a muscle or bats an eyelid. The water rises above their heads, and everyone stays still. You are busily treading water, and by this point, deathly afraid. You reach the ceiling, and this is the part where the dream gets really uncomfortable. You look down and see your face, but on the head of a baby. You don't have kids, so you panic. You've had this dream at least a dozen times, and every time you swim down to grab the baby, then swim to an exit through the big front doors of the station. At this point, the baby always looks as if it's going to cry. It pulls its features back in a horrible expression and begins to talk in your voice. The baby always suggests that you go to a bar nearby and have a few drinks while they deflood the station. It always seems like a good idea until you get to the bar. You place the baby on the same bar stool and suddenly it's able to support itself. Last time you offered to buy the baby a drink and it answered you, saying, Are you trying to buy a baby a drink? Really? Come on. So you order one for yourself. Well, you try to but the person behind the bar and the baby are talking so animatedly that you can't get a word in. The baby tells one joke after another, and although you can never remember them, the bar is filled with laughter. Eventually, the baby looks at you and says, Why are you so quiet? You should tell a joke. And you wake up. The last night dream for this episode is called Beagles and Bagels. Smiling as you leave the toilet, you rejoin your friends sat in the smoking area. This week has been really hard for them, and so was the week before. As you listen to them talk, you think back to the thought you had in the toilet. It was funny, which is the opposite of what you're hearing now from your friend. It must be hard, you say, thinking just for a moment about your own failures. Sometimes, even though nothing is stopping me from being productive, I still do nothing instead. If only it was nothing. Your friend needs to pinch something. They are tired of being pinched constantly by circumstances, so they pinch you. It's not that, they say. I'm just literally always too busy, and it hurts to be pinched, so you think back to the toilet instead, where you are safe and alone. You have a few more drinks and try to steer the conversation towards a lighter topic. Your friend, however, is determined to be miserable. As you let them speak more, you understand why, but you don't really understand, as nothing bad has ever happened to you. You find it surprisingly easy to be neither here nor there, and in the triangle of problems, you're very far away. The bathroom is present, and you feel for your friend acutely. You want to tell them about the bathroom, but they start talking about their brother, 
who you still think of as very young, but now apparently is old enough to have a multitude of problems that you don't really understand the seriousness of. You get another round of drinks and begin to talk about the past. As you drink more and more, you stop talking about things that have happened and start pointing at things and laughing. Everything is out of place and now it has become fun. Your friend is infinitely preferable now to the miserable one, even if it can't last beyond this evening. Last orders are eventually called and you leave. You have to say it, so you do. When I dropped the toilet seat earlier, it made the ba-da-dum-dum-dum noise from the start of that cure song. Just like heaven. Yes, but that isn't the funny part. Just before that, I was thinking about a company called Beagles and Bagels, and the logo would be a beagle wearing a bagel like a rubber ring. Your friend who was about to say goodbye now finds that they can't, so they nod at you and say, ha-ha, yeah, see you around then. Then it will be years before you even start to develop a filter, and even longer to start facing up to your own problems.